Another week gone by and we're here with another episode on the podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining me. And um, I feel this year has been a, a little different as things go because I don't know what it is. I'm having a very strange feeling, um, kind of disconnected from things around me. You know, it's strange when I'm with people, uh, suddenly catch myself just going, hmm, am I really here or am I not? Um, and it's really kind of unsettling at times. You know, the other day I was sitting, uh, I don't know where I was sitting. See, that's the weird part. I think I was yeah, sitting in the car with my wife. We were coming back from somewhere and uh, she was talking to me and I forget what we were talking about, but we had done breakfast and it was one of those things that we plan to do going out once a week, just her and I. And we were pulling into the building and suddenly I'm just like, who is this person sitting next to me? But more importantly, uh, I wouldn't say importantly, but more, uh, I would say unsettlingly, I was like, who's this person sitting next to my wife? And isn't that a strange feeling when you kind of have, it's, I wouldn't say out of body experience, but I've had it two, three times where I'm just like um, removed from myself in a situation and I don't know, I'm trying to just take it all and not sort of freak out and go, oh my God, I'm having a panic attack. But it's not a panic attack because I've had panic attacks. And in fact, I would say it, it, to a certain extent, I'm a pro at panic attacks. Uh, I'm so glad I haven't had one in a long time. But it's 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 a new feeling and it's a feeling that um, kind of, if you want to take it the wrong way, you can and feel really uh, nervous and feel angst. Um but I'm trying to see if there's a positive in this because, or not even a positive because you don't have to take positive, negative and make everything so black and white. But if there's a new experience in this uh, to be had where you kind of um, observe yourself uh, or rather observe the situation and yourself in it from the outside, if that makes any sense at all. And maybe I'm just talking shit. Maybe I'm losing the plot guys maybe i'm just going crazy and this is the beginning of the unraveling um of sandeep rao as you know him or as you might have known him because don't you think this is something that we all are so attached to this version of what we identify ourselves as and i don't mean identifying as gay or male or woman or mother or father i'm saying we built so much um, and put so much into this construct that we call ourselves, whether it's you or me or whether it's our friend. And we have so many things we attach to that person or that personality, the traits, this the, the, the expression that they um, sort of indulge in or you indulge in or I indulge in. And we kind of give it so much uh, structure and importance uh, with what we view ourselves as what we say or how we say it or what we wear how we wear it what we do how we do it and frankly i mean i turned 40 last year and th that's a lot of time going into constructing this idea of who we think we are and uh we uh then put pressure on ourselves to kind of live out our um entire construct in a certain way and if it doesn't go in the way that we expect it to or we're supposed to do it then we kind of get upset if someone kind of pisses on our parade we get upset and i suppose this is what uh, a lot of people call the ego but i'm just 
wondering if there is a thing to be kind of gained when you are given an opportunity where you're able to break through that and um discover if that's the right word that that there's something out there beyond what you've kind of done and maybe it's a limited way in which you've viewed yourself in the world and there's a possibility of understanding something beyond that which may be uh much broader much more liberating and much more open minded in some sense of viewing who i would say who you really are but what you possibly can be and that's where i'm kind of interested to observe what's going on as opposed to quickly labeling that this is what's happening to me and i should quickly nip it in the bud before i kind of spiral out of control and become a nervous wreck who's constantly anxious and again that's a word we give right anxiety anxious situations and maybe that's something that we are conditioned to believe that we're experiencing and maybe of course there are certain debilitating um situations where you are so overcome by anxiety that you can't really function but maybe it is an opportunity that is being presented to us where we're able to uh, look past the curtain of our own construction which is these labels these 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 characteristics or these things that we are so called defining ourselves by and we're so caught up by it we're so constrained by it and we're so scared of letting go of it because we think that without those attachments labels etc we are nobody but maybe a situation like this is a chance and a possibility of an experience that you never thought that you could have and a way to break past what you've already done and limited yourself to yeah have no clue where that came from guys but that's what i think is going on anyhow let me move on to the guest on today's episode before i start sounding like a crack and someone ships me robes in the mail um and if you do i'd like emerald emerald green robes the ones that the slytherins actually not the ones that slytherin the one that harry potter wears for the um what's that called the the tri wizard championship in the goblet of fire because he wears it to match his eyes but i i just like that color i think the one in the book i haven't seen the movie anyhow green robes on their way uh my guest is professor Gary Bertolini is a professor he's actually let me he does a bunch of things he's a senior vice president of Purdue online he's a distinguished professor of engineering technology computer information technology and on today's episode we talk about the whole idea of learning and how it hasn't really evolved since the industrial revolution since the 1900s since, since systems have come into place that we are still following because we think that's what an education uh, today needs to look like uh, when clearly it's changed things have moved from factories and um workshops to a digital age and still seems like education is stuck there and a lot of it came um uh to be exposed during the lockdown with online learning so um professor gary and i talk about online learning talking about the idea of adapting to new systems talking about how these are opportunities for us to let go and move on to new ways and also what does it mean what is learning for the future look like what does it mean to adapt to technology to to live in a world where we are filled with assistive technology artificial intelligence and the internet becoming so commonplace and so many more things that we are still unable i think 
and wise we're not wise enough to to handle i think we kind of are so scared that ai is going to take over our jobs and i spoke about this in the last episode with chat gpt and the things that that is sort of uh, a sign of things to come so how do we cope with this rapidly changing landscape how does the education system change and how does learning in itself change and how do we evolve with that change well i had a fun conversation with professor gary bertolini and i'm sure you'll have a lovely time listening to what he has to say hey as always thank you so much for joining me on these episodes i really appreciate it and professor gary bertolini if you're listening thank you for joining me as well till next episode goodbye god bless take care of yourselves cheers Mr. Gary Bertolini, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you? Yes, I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. I really appreciate you staying up and taking this call late at night. Um and I will um I think start by asking you this question which has been um sort of floating around in my head, which is mainly about um the entire situation if you go back to 2 3 years about a new virus a mm-hmm. resulting lockdown uh, a bunch of mandates that made us sort of go up in arms vaccines and then it sort of just started splitting people in different uh, factions right pro vaccine yes. anti vaccine pro masking anti vaccine yes. mm-hmm. pro lockdown so it just made this entire if you want to call it uh in varying levels whether it was the US Canada whether it was uh India or whether it was Mexico each person had a different protocol but each population also received these protocols with varying levels of um you know i would say subservience if you want to say or just levels of um with varying levels of resistance and clearly some places had more militant approach uh, opposition yes. so what what i mean of course everyone who's been in the world for the past 3 years knows what i've just said but what i wanted to ask you specifically is we seem to have so much uh, advancement in learning but clearly we're not able to kind of figure out a a sensible uh, sensible way to interpret that learning and why yeah, is that yeah. well so i i'm going to push back a little bit uh, mm-hmm. we might know a lot more about learning but we actually aren't uh utilizing it okay <laughs> right so i'm going to i'm going to go historical with you mm-hmm. okay so oh, please do uh, yeah. the united states which is in some ways recognizes the the leader in education uh, we developed k through 12 uh, very early on in around 1900s and mm-hmm. and higher education really developed after the moral act in about 1862 but the real way that higher ed is taught today as well as k through 12 was developed around 1900 in this country great system for 1900 the problem is it's no longer 1900 yeah things yeah. have drastically changed okay the way we set up uh, education in this nation and many nations copied it as you know yeah. okay and we got a little bit from europe germany especially uh but that's more on the research side when it comes to you know just uh, teaching and learning we we kind of developed our own ideas but the problem is, is that um in 1900 what we were trying to do is prepare farmers and shopkeepers to work in factories and in offices and uh you know that was fine back in 1900 actually it was fine up until about you know 
in this nation around 1970, 75. But then technology really started to take off, and there's different phases of technology. Uh, most people think that we're still in um, uh, the third industrial revolution, which is computing. We're actually past that, okay? Yeah. We're now in a, an age we call the fourth industrial revolution, which is a digital transformation. And it is truly a revolution that's going on in human history, and we have not figured out what it means to our societies, okay, and how it affects individuals. It is so transformational in nature. And so this digital transformation that we're talking about revolves around artificial intelligence, okay, uh, the Internet of Things. Uh, by the way, you have both of those things if you have a, 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 a mobile phone with you right now, yeah. okay? Yeah, it has yeah. artificial intelligence and it has uh, Internet things. It has all these sensors in it. I have a, a watch on right now that, you know, picking up all of my health-related uh, uh, um, activities that I have yeah. going on as, as I do different things. But all these technologies are, are in a space right now and our society can't handle it. Okay, it's why you see, um, I'm going to be very blunt here, the village idiots virtually everywhere in the world now have a voice. We're yeah. actually becoming dumber, I think, for the first time since maybe the Middle Ages. It's be and it's really because of that. Uh, everyone can have a voice right now and there's no filters. Yeah, and That's why you now have this fracturing of society because it's so easy to get these voices out there that are very destructive because they don't have any any basis to reason and and so when when you look at that and then you look at what we're trying to do in, in education and we're not taking true advantages of those technologies plus we have a system that's based on 1900 uh, way of thinking that's the problem um, it has been proven through research over and over and over again that active learning, is much more effective than people standing up and lecturing, okay? Mm. Being actively involved in your learning is a much better way of learning. And we have not adopted that widely. And that's part of the problem. And so when the pandemic hit, it's like, I can't lecture in front of you anymore unless I do it virtually. And, you know, it's nice to be able to do it virtually, but even that is worse than, uh, in many cases, lecturing face-to-face, -face, okay? Yeah. And so we actually degraded in our education, uh, the quality of education when it went virtual, uh, if that was one of the ways that uh, you had to continue to learn. And so uh, we've learned a lot uh, since that happened, but we still have a long, long way to go as far as changing that. And I can talk about some of the things that we're doing. I started, uh, uh, you know, with Purdue. Um, I helped them start uh, high schools in inner city uh, Indianapolis here uh, using mm -hmm. this. And this started before the pandemic. And now I'm doing a project with the National Science Foundation to transform engineering education and higher education. Uh, but we have to really do something, what I call transformational. Incremental change is, is going too slow compared to what the technology is that's rushing ahead of us. Okay. You know, so I, have I don't know a, if that helps a, a little bit or not. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, it, it, asks, it opens up a lot more questions in my head, which is, I think, a nice yeah. thing uh, since we're doing a podcast. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what, um, 
I observe is um, especially to sort of just shift the context a little bit from the U.S. to countries like India and China, which yes. um, mm -hmm. use a lot of the U.S. models uh, to base their yes. education or the U.K. Yes. or the British models, which were in the past. Um, and as a result, now you also have the other flow, which is this aspiration from a lot of students in these countries to visit for higher education, whether it's undergrad mm -hmm. or postgrad, right? The yep. thing is, you've clearly mentioned... Um, the two things that the system has done, especially on a postgrad, undergrad level, is it's created this 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 um, sense of a draw, which creates this feeling of uh, I need to go study in the U.S., yes. which is a huge economy right. in itself for getting visas, oh, yeah. getting student visas, right? Yep. Um, and the second thing is this sense of um, where the students have this it's more of a pride issue in some ways right but also oh, yeah. there is this status that i went and got my degree in the u.s and a lot of indians will go there a lot of chinese students will go there yeah. um and of course across the world i'm just using these two countries because they're the biggest populations mm -hmm. now as a result sure. you mentioned there's this gaping uh divide in the education system which is that number one it's set up for a time which was different as a result the right. the vocations the outcome of these courses were different secondly it almost sounds like the education system is playing catch up yes so when you have on one hand you have these two issues just to say the at the top of the, the ladder with the education system second is on the other extreme other side you have these huge number of students who want to come and be a part of it and as a result, mm -hmm. churning out number of engineers, postgrad doctors, whatever, yes. uh, they clearly um, there's a and then the, you know at a third element to this conversation, some of the biggest companies in the world right now are started by people who dropped out mm -hmm. or didn't complete their education. Um, what does it show us uh, that the education system is producing? And to a, maybe a second part of that question is, what are these? traits in these people like the likes of Bill Gates or Elon Musk or just giving examples that aren't available in education? Yeah, so um, you have to realize that until you have a product that is better than what you already have, you keep on going back to it. So even though we might have a lot of uh, Chinese and Indian students coming to the United States, it's more based on prestige than whether that uh, education system is actually so much better than the rest of the world. Obviously, we have great universities. I'm not trying to say that that there aren't, but there aren't. There, there's not another choice. There's not this kind of next wave. Think yeah. of it in terms of what Tesla did to the automobile industry. Until they reinvented a car basically from scratch and electrified it. Yeah. There was no other choice, right? And GM had been playing in this space for like 30 years and got nowhere because they were just playing in the space. They didn't try yeah. to transform it. And now Tesla has forced every automobile company in the world to electrify, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the kind of effort we need to change education. And there are a couple of examples of that starting to happen but you have to get someone to actually disrupt and when you disrupt then you have a real choice going forward and so you could say the same thing about people like bill gates and elon musk and uh um, steve jobs they they were disruptors that's actually what they were yeah you, you know they they may uh you know 
I don't like everything that that Elon Musk is doing right now, but boy, mm. is he brilliant about b- disrupting things, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And that's the kind of uh, thing that actually education doesn't do a very good job of is is bringing out that real creative ability because most of our our uh, education system is getting you to find the one right answer. That's not the way life is. There is no one right answer. There's the best answer and how you get there takes different paths. But to think it's like a, you know, a, a calculus problem that only has one answer. That's not the way the real world works. And these most, the, the most creative people like we've talked about, they have, uh, you know, never, um, you know, uh, gotten education to disrupt the way they think and learn, they did not allow it to actually uh, take away their creativity. They wouldn't fit into a box, if you will. And so we have to do a better job of figuring out how to bring that creativity out of everyone because humans in general are are very creative uh, beings. But the formal education system really takes a lot of that out because of the way that we, uh, you know, have the education system that is so much about getting the one right answer. Don't make mistakes, okay? You're punished for mistakes instead of learning from the mistakes. There's a lot to this, okay? Um, And that's just a a little bit of it, okay, that goes into it. (laughs) Now, some of the things you mentioned, I like the one, there isn't one right answer because, you know, sort of drawing from my experiences, also people listening, there is this, entire emphasis in india about getting good marks good grades good rank ranking high and we have these prestigious institutions which people and uh, had a guest just a couple of episodes back was to be talking about the same thing where one of the biggest producers of engineers and mba graduates and um what do we what and and going back um earlier in a person's development in their education um you know parents want to put uh, emphasis on this as well it's not just the teachers yes. or the system right it's it's kind of intertwined mm-hmm. in that way where um you hear of stories where mothers put their six-year-old boys or girls into this training program yep. for a exam they're going to give when they're 18 mm-hmm. uh it's that competitive now yep. clearly with um this kind of pressure on all sides it's it's the disruption should have happened earlier but uh, say, you know, I'm uh, talking to other parents now about, you know, what they're looking at doing for, uh, say, a preschool and then school. The first thing is like, um, the questions are like, um, so it, it, it depends. Some are like-minded or not like-minded. You know, some, the question might be, what is the, what is the process there? Like, how, what is the, the, the opportunities for the child to explore or to, of course, you know, besides the ones of safety and is it... Um, run well but um do they have place do they have more natural elements so the kid can run but uh then you have automatic other things is um who else sends their kids there or (laughs) then it's like how expensive is it and so the thing i'm just asking you from it, it might sound naive is what are the motivating factors because there, I'm sure there's some great educators out there, and uh, one person that you know stands out for me, and I, I, it's you know, sadly he's no more, is Sir Ken Robinson, yeah. right? I'm sure you're familiar. Yeah. 
with his approach. I was thinking approach. exactly the same. Before you even said that, I was wondering if you are going to say that. He's brilliant as an auditor, yeah. as ideas. And I, I, yeah. I, yeah. So someone like him would emphasize on what you just said, the creative aspect, the, the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the system that allows a child to retain as much of being a yeah. child. But uh, clearly, however much, you know, maybe my generation of parents know more than my parents' generation of parents, but we still don't want to break the conformity that education and ed educational outcomes have forced into our heads. We want our kids to be, uh, you know, better than other kids. We want our kids to be high performing. Yes. We want our but, yep. you know, if I tell someone, oh, no, no, I don't care about education or what that represents, I want to homeschool my kid. And if my kid doesn't yep. learn to read by the age of 10 or learn to write, they're going to be like, dude, you're harming your child. Yeah. Why is yep. that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I think uh, it's just uh, human nature in some ways that, um, you know, those um, those uh, parents that uh, really want their their kids to have a better life than them, or, or at least an equal if they're if they have a good life, is they're they they want to protect them, they want want them to be safe, but they also want to make sure they maximize their opportunities to succeed. And unfortunately, the way you succeed in education is by getting great grades in the system, again, that was designed in 1900. Yeah, yeah And so yeah. we're stuck in this loop, okay? This death spiral, actually, because it doesn't work for everyone. And even those that it does work for, um, you are actually um, not preparing them to be as creative as they could be because when we get, these really, really smart kids from high school uh, at Purdue, many of them, you'll get them in a class and you'll talk about all the great things you're going to work, you know, work on and you know what, what you're going to learn here. And most of them just come back and say, how do I get an A? <laughs> that's, like, mm. that's all they care about is the grade. Okay. They want to know how to get the grade because they've been trained to do it that way. And I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't strive to get A's if that's what we're going to do and use as a measure, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you should be really concerned about. What are you actually taking out of the class is going to help you uh, become better at what it is you want to do. It's not the grade that's going to count. It's the knowledge that you're gaining. It's the experience that you're gaining. Um, and, so the and A is almost then in the real world translated to money or bonuses or material. It, yeah. it, it can, but you know, there, there's so much evidence that, you know, in the United States, I, you know, I, I have to be careful. I heard this was said to me just a few days ago and I haven't verified it, but I, I think there's probably something to it. The average GPA of uh, the CEOs of the largest companies in the U.S., you know, had like a B average. Okay. It's not, they weren't the smartest, uh, you know, uh, students. Yeah. They were able to fit everything together and, and, you know, come up with what it takes to actually lead. You don't need to be brilliant to lead a corporation. You might need to be brilliant to do certain things within that corporation in order for it to succeed. But that person doesn't necessarily become the leader. Okay. And so, of course the leader is the one that makes the most money at the end of the yeah. day. <laughs> no, so just to yeah. think that, that, that just someone listening right now, because I think it's some, something that they need to hear, especially if they're a parent or a child, like, and there's a lot of tension around that. There's a lot of self-harm. There's yes. a lot of suicide happening yes. as yes. a result of bad grades, bad marks, not able to get into mm -hmm. colleges, into certain exam, uh, entrance exam yes. marks. So 
it's almost like if you're a bad student now, you are better off. <laughs> you are. Yeah, the pressure's off, right? It is. The pressure's and off. Sad. And the, and the, and and the, the the things that they sort of use to grade you or mark you as a student and a better or worse off one are these con- these tests or these standardized tests like the SATs yes. or like the other yep. ones which equivalents around the world mm-hmm. GPAs is the grade but and it's it's almost like once you're catering to that system of measurement you apply that to all aspects of life and that isn't good yeah. but a student who's not good is like you know what gets disillusioned saying it's clearly not that you know i'm a bad student i'm a bad student either that or the the they're able to kind of say you know this is not working for me so at least at least they're looking elsewhere which is what you're yeah. indicating towards right look elsewhere rely on other aspects rely on your creativity maybe yes. rely, rely on not uh, edu- academic conformist tools but there's a way of doing it both ways so one of the most popular courses I taught during the pandemic, I created a course called Living with Purpose and Thriving. Okay. Mm, right. It, it had nothing about, you know, uh, math or, you know, it was simply about all the evidence that we have on how to live a happy life, um, a healthy life, mm-hmm. and everything that it takes to kind of just handle modern society in general. I still have students contacting me saying, you know, they just went through a rough patch in their life. And some of the things that we taught in there and what we learned about really helped them to get through it. We need to actually spend more time around that so that the students are more able to take on that. And we just totally ignore those kinds of things. Mm. Uh, Wellness is so important right now in this society, especially with, you know, like social media and, and some of the pressures that kid, kids have in, in social media, um, it, we, we need to do more to help their uh, uh, navigating through this modern society, and we don't do enough of it. And so this idea of, of wellness is really an important concept, and we need to do a lot more. So how would you integrate wellness? And I think everything when you mention with education is two, threefold, right? Because it's not just the schools, it's not the curriculum, it's not the schooling board, it's not the policymakers, but it's 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 the it's the parents right because it's a very social undertone that we've Mm -hmm. set for them by the way i mean uh, people have set up this idea of prestige and and it's been there for years like when uh sometimes you know you look at a person you don't even look at their integrity or other aspects you're like oh he's from harvard he must be a good person i know i know so that's so evident in it's, it's i'm sure there in america you have the old boys clubs everyone who went to the yale uh, mm-hmm. to the ivy leagues yep. and then you have the oh, yes. uh you know like the oxford and cambridge and i'm just listening to another podcast where they're talking about that entire um it's called the feud it's basically the the, the how oxford tried to throw their dean of uh, the, the christchurch college out it's this whole we belong to a certain elite club and you must yes, do whatever yeah. it takes to fit in and, yeah. and if you're not yeah. within one of our in our ranks you're not going to, it's kind of like the Illuminati, right? We control the world. You want to be a yeah. part of the yeah, kind of thing. But, <laughs> yes, uh, so, but if you've created that, if that is a gold standard and people want that, of course, right? For them or their kids yeah. or their grandkids. And then you save up thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars for a MBA at like Kellogg or a bachelor's at Harvard or Harvard Business School. And, and then automatically, I, I mean, also another thing that ties up is the amount of debt that these students find themselves in. Oh, no. uh, so yeah. wh- how do you break that? 
perception because I think that's where it lies, right? Telling parents a few to start with and then more to kind of think. You don't have to go to the other extreme where you're living in a forest and teaching a kid what a rabbit is or the other extreme where you're in Harvard Business School. But how do you get people shifting away from this? Yeah, well, that's a that's a really good question. I haven't ra- actually thought about it. The first thing you know that comes to mind is we need to uh, spend more time talking about the most successful people on the planet probably didn't go to most of those places. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, uh, and that's true. Okay, you know, you can go to Princeton, Princeton or Harvard, and they have great graduates. But if you look around, that uh, you're gonna see that the number of the most successful people on the planet, they are going to be a very, very small number. Okay. Mm. And so you have to just recognize that that isn't everything. There's more to life than getting that particular degree from that particular uh, university, that there's so many examples of people being successful going to many other uh, ways of uh, getting their education, whether that's formal or informal. I don't know, again, uh, exactly how we, we crack this, but we're just in, again, I, this uh, death spiral that I call it, in, yeah, in yeah. where the way we see and, and uh, view education, and it's not healthy. It's not a healthy way of looking at education at all. So I, I don't know. Uh, I wish I had an answer to that question. It's a tough one. Yeah, because it's such a, a, a integral part of the fabric of society, right? And the fabric of yes, family. Yes. Uh, because when you start um, thinking of your child as a as a as a being that has to go through the process of education and come out on the other side, yeah. you kind mm-hmm. of are already eliminating so many other ways of looking at that child. Yes. Because you're putting pressure on yourself, you're you're saving up money for the school, the fees. Then when they go to that school, it's a particular environment that represents a part of society. So they have to go for these kid parties. They have to go to be seen going on holidays. They have to get the right phone. So just to amplify, it's not just the school. It's so much more uh, when oh, yeah. that that thought when that decision is made. It's that that entire child's life and expression of that life is now within these parameters, right? It's the social yeah. economic. Um, it's the academic, it's it's the kind of um, image, brand building, if you want to call it. So, it, so yeah. when, when a parent, yeah, because it's not like if you send a kid to a certain school, then you can just extract them back into a multi-varying uh, mm-hmm. environment, right? Because the school does determine the friends, the friends of the parents, the kind of uh, workshops, the kind of art, whatever it may be. So, yeah, right. that, I think that's why I find it. Yeah, so I, I, you know, one of the things I, I thinking about your last question is, if I, you know, what I know about higher education, um, I would send my children to a good university, but then I would uh, advise them to get a graduate degree from the elite university. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's actually easier to get into. Yeah. Okay. You're taking the pressure off the child at that point, but you still have that. You can put that on your resume. Okay. I have an MBA from, you know, Harvard or whatever. And it's actually easier to do that. In fact, in many cases, you can do it online. And, and yeah. that, that actually is a way that, that you can kind of get, have it both ways. But what I think we need to do is we need to turn the corner and, and convince parents that yes, 
we, you know, you should continue to encourage your, your children to advance academically and hope for the best outcomes as far as where they go to college. But don't forget the wellness piece. You want a well-rounded child. You want to take care of that child so that they can handle the pressure that they're, they're, they're being put under. And so there, there's two sides of that coin there. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's not just the academic side. There's the person itself. And make sure you don't forget about the well-being of the person. And I'm not saying the parents aren't doing that, but they have to raise their game a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that they can recognize when yeah. their children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when their children are under stress, uh, but they, do you they think, need to recognize them. Do you think the parents themselves are still not past that, the trauma of being a student. <laughs> yeah, well, that's part of it too, right? right. You know, they, they have their scars too. And, you know, if they, especially if they didn't get into the university, mm. then they start transferring that to their children. Yeah, and that that's, uh, that's, I think, some of what's going on. Okay. And, and that's part of this whole, you know, social system that we have that is so competitive. Um, and that's not healthy either. Okay, it's yeah. just like everyone, you know, wants to be a professional baseball or football player or uh, whatever. Okay, there's yeah. a very, very small number that make it. Obviously, <clears throat> you know what I find um, curious is a lot of the lack of, um, as you said, wellness or growth mm -hmm. when it comes to, um, you know, people who are out of educational systems, right? They go through the entire check boxes, mm -hmm. K through 12, undergrad, postgrad, uh, maybe even PhDs. And then you meet them. I mean, of course, none of these statements are made, uh, are generalizing everyone, but right. it's like the focus on them as a person isn't there, it's just that how much they know has gone up. Yeah. So do you feel uh, that by revising the way we look at the duration of education, Will that maybe help people? Like right now, it's what from the age of six you get into first grade or first standard yes. here, mm -hmm. until eighteen you leave high school, then go eighteen to twenty-two or twenty-one. That's your undergrad. Mm -hmm. Twenty-one to twenty-three, it's your masters. If you're doing, yes. uh, doing a couple more, you know, doctor, then add another three years. So you're twenty-three, twenty-five, twenty-six, or unless you're a, mm -hmm. uh, you're you're a doctor, like a medical doctor, then of course add another mm -hmm. three hundred years to that because. They clearly, yes. <laughs> but uh, but what I found so, that's a typical arc, right? And you're supposed to finish that yeah. and get into the real world or start working, yeah. start. And right, right. It seems like do we need that rush? Can we? No, we don't. Just, yeah. Now, I have a. I could talk about this a lot, but I'll try and keep my comments as <laughs> brief as possible. Um, I always like to start this conversation. So in, in this country, it's it's called K through twelve, okay, mm -hmm. and, and that and then it's four years for an undergraduate degree, about two years for a master's, three for a PhD, something around that range, yeah. right? So what I like to ask is this question when I get into this conversation: Give me the name of a prophet and the name of the mountain where the prophet brought the stone tablets down that said. To be fully educated, you had to go through 12 years of education. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Why is it 12 years? Yeah. Well, what's the magic number with 12 years? There's no magic number. It has nothing to do with anything. Okay. Um, and and the same thing with an undergraduate degree. It's like we are we are stuck in this uh, world. Like we can't change it. It's like it's a law of physics. Okay. Yeah. If, if we 
if we have someone and say, well, you can do it in 11 years, um, you know, the world's going to explode or something. We yeah. have to get to the point where we start doing things like competency-based education. Okay. Yeah. It's not based on your seat time. How many hours you sit in a seat, which are called credit hours. Okay. Which is an artificial way of measuring learning. In fact, it doesn't measure learning at all. Yeah. It's yeah. just saying that you're showing up and the whole system's based on credit hours, at least in this nation. And the history of the credit hour is, is it was set up at uh, Cornell university in 1906 to create a retirement system for the professors. They wanted to, to measure um, faculty effort. And if you read the documentation, it says this has nothing to do with learning, yet our entire education system is based on how many credit hours you earn. And the credit hours are backed in by how many hours you sit in a seat in a, a course or a lab, right? Mm. Totally disjointed from learning. This is what I'm talking about. This ancient system that we're uh, using is so restrictive in being much more creative in how we actually, um, you know, prepare our graduates. The learning system is is antiquated, and we have to change. And you would think that people in this space are the most willing for change because that's what learning is supposed to teach you, right? That I don't know, so let me try. But it clearly is uh, now filled with the same topping students who are like, no, 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 I've already done well. Why should I change it? (laughs) Yeah, no. And when you look at professors, it's like they teach the way they were taught. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Again, this is that death spiral we're in. We can't seem to break ourselves out of it. And so, you know, some of the things we've done at Purdue and uh, some of the things that I've done is really tried to transform uh, the undergraduate learning experience. And we adopted 10 high impact educational practices. What that means are these are uh, practices that have been researched and show that this uh, is a much better way of learning. And we had to do a whole professional development program for our faculty to get them to change, to break them out of that mold, okay? What you're doing is not necessarily the best way of imparting learning. And, you know, we talk about instead of being sages on stages, that they're coaches and mentors of learning, okay? Mm. And, and that's a whole mind shift that you have to go through. Um, and it takes some effort, but it can be done. But we need a, a many more universities starting to do those kinds of things. Yeah. As well as K through 12. Yeah. yeah. No, it sounds like we needed a big jerking out of reality and this yes. this complacence, right? And I, mm-hmm. it seemed like the pandemic almost, I mean, the lockdown almost succeeded in uh, question, making people question a lot of things they were doing. Like, why am I spending two hours every morning and two hours every evening commuting to an office yes. where right. I'm one in a thousand, I'm not getting fresh air, I can do this from home. Or why am I even a part of this? Similarly, did it bring up, did it raise uh, questions in the education world? Yeah, well, one, the biggest one is that, you know, now everyone knows they can do online education. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, you have no idea how hard it was to get, you know, especially in higher ed, to get them to try online education. I've been trying to do it for the last 20 years um, and not doing it very well. And suddenly it's like you have to go online because there's no other 
other choice. You still want your job or not? We didn't really say it in those terms, but yeah. that's really the reality. We we shut down. You have to go online. Okay. Yeah. And they just suddenly discovered they could do online education. Now it wasn't perfect and some were better at others. And, you know, we saw some degrading of learning that happened because we, we had to do it way too fast. Um, but we learned a lot from that. So the biggest one is we know that we uh, can do online education. We know how to do it in a high quality manner after a few years of, of experience. So that was one of the big ones. Uh, the other one is, is that it's not so much what changed in higher education, it's what changed in the minds of students. We're finding out that students have different expectations. Yeah. They actually want to have the flexibility of maybe a blended course and not showing up in a classroom every day and, and having some of their instruction online or having, you know, maybe... Uh, three of the two or three of their classes online so they have more uh, flexibility to do things and then maybe a few face to face um, and so they they are uh, of the mind that they would like to continue at least some of this because they saw some of the advantages too they want to have more free time they want to maybe not commute to campus or whatever just like the workforce is um, the problem is, is you can see it even in the workforce companies want to people to come back in the work and show up um, yet there's really no evidence that uh, they have that that's actually something better so I don't know you know it's there's tough. a nice thing that you mentioned about it makes people uh, understand what they appreciate from learning right yeah and when I think of international students many a time when they have to physically relocate to the university campus it is um isn't easy, you know, I'm saying more at an undergraduate level because many times mm -hmm. they have to get these visas done, which are um, yeah. very, very tedious processes. They have to then, uh, of course, the process starts much before, like depending on how well off or well, not well off they are, they have to get a loan. Many of the times the parents mortgage their house to get that loan. Uh, then these kids leave yeah. their parents with this pressure of, uh, I have to do well and then get a job so I can pay off this loan. Also, they're young, they're 17, 18, right? So they, they, they're leaving home for the first time. Yeah. And then they have to go to a country many times. They're either brown or they're colored. Yeah. Or they may, be, mm -hmm. they may be white as well. So then they have this thing that I have to fit into the American way of life. And that means mm -hmm. trying to get validation from these American students, which also yes. might be great because if you have, might make great friends. But you also go through some, again, some sense of rejection, right? When you get... Either a racial slur or some ignorant yep. statement about your country mm -hmm. being thrown at you. I'm just painting a picture of what someone might go through. And then you have to stay in a dorm. Yes. You have to adjust to the food. So for a lot of international students, the, the academics, yes, it is the important thing to outcome. They don't, they don't have to learn because they just want to get grade A's so they can get a mm -hmm. job and their parents can pay off the debt. But it's also so much more than just the, 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 the coming there for studying. So, yeah, this online model seems like it can give them that sort of slowly break into the system, figure out yeah. if they like doing that, and then physically relocate, you know? Yeah, exactly. You, you, you can uh, kind of test it and see if yeah. that's actually what you want and what you like to do. And so I, I'm hoping that we see more online uh, opportunities. And, and, and there are. I mean, at least in the, the states here, there's a lot more universities that are doing online instruction. Um, and so we'll see where that goes. But I think that that is one change that's, that will stick. 
Okay, mm. that's one thing I think you'll see. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing you mentioned uh, when you gave your talk, uh, you know, stood out, of course, amongst other things, but mm -hmm. it, it seems, you mentioned the, the idea of leaders and managers, right? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And it seems like everything we've created through these education systems are great managers, but the leaders come yes. from somewhere else, right? <laughs> yes, yes, they do. And I, the problem is, is that most people don't actually realize the difference. And, you mm -hmm. know, um, I mean, we need both. We need both great managers and leaders because they can have a big um, effect on uh, any organization, whatever you're doing. But, um, you know, I, I claim that there are really very, very few great leaders when it comes right down to it. If you really understand what leadership is about mm. um, and what most people think of leadership is not leadership. Okay. Mm. It's, it's, uh, it's ego, it's charisma, it's, um, you know, self grandization. There's all kinds of things that actually, um, people don't understand. Okay. What that really, uh, uh what true leadership is a, a, a true great leader is, isn't doing it for them. Themselves. They're doing it for their organization or their values or whatever. And those type of people are very, very rare. So these managers are holding on, or rather people look at these things of prestige, ego, uh, being, um, being, as you said, charisma as traits of leaders, but that's not the reality. No, no, it's not. Well, first of all, um, Great leaders have some amount of charisma, but they use it to sell their idea that advances, okay? Um, and uh, they don't use it to advance their own self, okay? Mm. okay? So they use it to try and convince people that there's a better way of doing things. And if you follow me, we all, you know, have uh, an advantage. We all get better because of it. Um, but if if it's all about you, then that's not that's actually destructive. OK. And and that's the thing that we see a lot of the time is that the people are uh, that are in leadership positions are in it for the wrong reasons, it's more about them than it is about what it is they're supposed to be leading. Um, so I, I have a I'm very critical of leaders. <laughs> I, I've studied them for a long time. I've, uh, I've read a lot. Um, you know, about uh, attributes of a great leadership. And um, so I have a very, very high standard. And I'm not saying that there aren't like leaders that are doing a decent job, but there's a big gap between those that kind of do a decent job and the great leaders that we've had in the world. And they're very, very few in number. <clears throat> yeah, because in a, in a time where there's so many people who have this facade of oh i know everything about everything but they're just so vulnerable it's easy to brainwash people into your ideology right that, uh, that, yeah that's exactly right and especially if you have charisma okay yeah uh, you know and uh there's a way of connecting with people uh that does not have a good outcome yeah at the end of the day. you can see it especially in politics okay mm. you can see it in politics certain politicians manipulate people instead of convincing them 
on, on, on what you know you need to do. Uh, they manipulate people, and so they use whatever it is, the hot button languages. They they put up uh, you know one group against the other. You know, if you look at the the leaders that uh, really. Um, are at the kind of the bottom of the list as far as, yeah. uh, you know, what they're doing to uh, the world. Um, in many cases, they put up, um, you know, these false um, um, battles, if you will, between groups. They, they look for those wedge issues that mm. separate people instead of bringing them together. And what they're trying to do is separate out a big enough number that supports what that person is saying, then they get in, in, in voted in or they become a dictator or whatever the end outcome is. But, uh, you know, that it's is like the uh, leader is almost looking for his or her uh, big, big enough group of yes men, pretty yes. much. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And they, you know, through experience, they find out those hot buttons that really get people kind of excited. Um, and they use that to their advantage. And, and people don't uh, really understand it. The other thing you have to understand is that humans in general, although they won't say it, and, and uh, it doesn't seem this way you know, when you first uh, hear what I'm about to say, but humans in general seek strong leaders. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, you know, you know, you live in India. You want your country to succeed, right? You mm -hmm. want your society to work, right? Yeah. And yeah. so you're actually seeking that out, and and so you get you get put in a vulnerable position because you're seeking something, you want something different, and someone comes along and they use that. They use that emotion that yeah. you have. They they sell you on this idea that it's going to be better if you follow their way. When in fact, it's all about them. They don't actually care about anything. They just say whatever they want in order to get in power. And you and it's hard to discern that at first, especially when you're just learning about what that leader is. Okay, because they often out of nowhere sometimes. And often they have all the right tags from Harvard yes. Business School, the educational tags, right? right? Absolutely, right. Yeah, just because you get a you know a degree somewhere doesn't mean that uh, you know, the morals came along with it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So clearly right. the task at hand in this entire soup we're in right now with um, climate change, climate change deniers, with everything having yep. a flip that is as strong. Um, mm -hmm. How do we distinguish uh, between manipulators and leaders? Because... Clearly, we have an abundant of the former, and what yeah. we clearly need to get out of this is some of the latter, right? Yeah, and you know, we um, this is part of the problem that I talked about very early on: this digital transformation. Mm -hmm. um, when when you cannot recognize the truth, um, that's actually when societies really crumble, and yeah. and so now we have you know between social media and. You know, every village idiot having a voice now, and you don't mm. know whether they're the village idiot or the smartest person on the block because it just shows up, okay, in your newsfeed, right, or whatever. And it uh, gives you 30 right? seconds and to it, read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and your algorithm, you know, automatically searches out certain kinds of articles or whatever on whatever app that you're on. And so, you know, you have... <laughs> 
it has to come through some education, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. Education actually is important if it's done correctly. And that's one way of discerning and trying to, you know, really figure out what the truth is. But at the end of the day, you know, people can't be so lazy as to just take someone's word for it. You have to, you know, investigate it a little bit and find out if there's an alternative side of the story. The problem is, is that, um, and I, I find myself doing the same thing. I avoid articles okay, that, that tend to um, say things that are opposite of what I believe, all right? Mm -hmm. I make excuses on why I won't read that, okay? Yeah. And so you can, if you look at liberal versus conservative, you know, where, do you, where are you reading most of your stuff or which kind of uh, news are you watching or whatever? Um, and so it's, it's very, very difficult to discern that because of where we are right now. But we have to do a much, much better job in that. And I think schools are part of that. We have to teach them, uh, students, we have to teach students really how to recognize uh, what is true and, and what is not, or is what is as close to the truth or not. Because some of the stuff that you're seeing, especially in our country, I don't know what it's like in India, but some of the most ridiculous things that people are, are reading and believing, and it's like, wow, I just... It's just mind-boggling that they actually see that. But when you get this tribe mentality, okay, it's hard to break out of that. Right? It's a really difficult thing we're dealing with right now. And you know that 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 thing you mentioned there uh, about the tribe mentality, right? When you look back, uh, and many of those tribes are formed at young ages, right? Uh, yes. In schools. And, and, and automatically they have their tribe dynamics you have the, the you have these things that take shape over the course of your schooling time right you have mm -hmm. a kid who's maybe not athletic a person who's more nerdy or person more yeah, yeah. um whatever the, the words are they're more uh, jock or whatever the words are but they mm -hmm. tend to kind of i'm saying non-academically i'm just saying as a group in yeah. a schooling system or a situation and next thing you know you're 40 maybe the the non-athletic kid has turned out to be a brilliant computer scientist the yes. uh, nerd has ended up becoming a ceo and then the jock has ended up becoming a druggie but when you yeah. meet as a school tribe you still feel like that kid who was bullied when he was five or when she was oh, seven yeah. so yeah that's no. clearly transforming it's or rather trans trans uh, transcending from education i wouldn't say transcending it's it's kind of clearly shifting from society uh, from school to society and we still see those power plays being um uh, played out right yeah, and it's again, it's easier because of the, the age that we're in. Mm. But uh, to back up one step, uh, it, um, humans are pre-wired to to have tribes, if you will. In yeah. other words, uh, before um, agriculture, okay, so yeah. we're really uh, talking about pre-agriculture um, hunter-gatherers, which is the the vast number of years of, of human evolution is hunter-gatherers you had smaller tribes because they protected each other. Okay. That's how you mm. survive. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, you know, we are kind of pre-wired to form tribes, but if you don't understand that, okay. If you don't understand that's part of the, the, the human uh, uh, experience, then you, you cannot recognize when you're kind of stuck in a tribe mentality and it's blinding you mm. to other things that there's another way of seeing and looking at things 
and and again, we don't do a good enough job of recognizing uh, that as a part of the human experience um, and owning that. And we have to do a much better job of explaining that, because at the end of the day, we are still all humans, okay? And we and we advance because we somehow have figured out how to break down those tribes um, and continue to move forward, okay? But it, it seems like we keep on falling back, and, and we're in a, a stage right now where I, I think there's a lot of uh, scary things going on in societies around the world. And you know, um, I'm, I'm reading stuff about how lonely people are in yeah. uh, around the world uh, could be mm-hmm. anywhere and i think you asked me earlier that i don't know if, if any of the things i'm talking about in the u.s context apply to india not mm-hmm. the same problems but definitely they're as real um because of yeah. so many you know other issues or other diverse nature of problems we have mm-hmm. right because it's the numbers it's the religious religion but yeah it boils down to the same thing and Loneliness is a thing. I mean, we it's it's not that, you know, we can import uh, American fast food, but we don't have to import depression, anxiety. It's very much here. And it's a human yes. condition, right? Um, yes. And, you know, the tribe idea is so attractive. And sometimes I, you know, I don't like meeting people in big numbers because I feel this, this need for these things that you mentioned, which have a very strong grip, mm-hmm. the ego, um, charisma and then you add in this layer of the group dynamics that perform during schools or colleges or yep. corporate settings it just makes for the conversation ending in very sort of competitive terms right like what did you do versus yes. how much I made versus where do you live versus yeah, blah yeah. blah blah um, yeah, yeah. okay but still I want to belong to a tribe because of this need which is pre-wired in my brain Right? right now, I'm sitting at home. I'm lonely, but there's the internet. Wow, what a vast place to meet people! You have virtual avatars that you can project yourself to be someone who yes. you're not, and you create this entire vibe that you would never be able to do in reality. Yeah. But uh, we're loneliest. We're some of the loneliest people at any given point in time. We have these groups and the potential to join them online. Um, I mean, I don't have a question per se, but how much of a disconnect is there, right? Well, it's a big one. Of course, uh, you know, we haven't talked about the effects of COVID is a lot of people had a lot of free time, especially in the U.S. when we shut down the economy. And that's when a lot of these online things really started taking off because people just spend a lot more time online. But online is not the same as a face-to-face interaction or a small group interaction. And, you know, that whole idea of loneliness that you're talking about is, is a real uh, issue, okay? You cannot really replace human, true human connection through computing, okay, through, mm. through computers. It, you can get to a certain point, but, you know, that's not the way, the, you know, uh, we humans work. Uh, I mean, I had a lunch today with an old colleague. It was one of the most enjoyable, you know, experience i've had in a while it it was an old friend and we had a face-to-face lunch we had been exchanging emails occasionally but Mm. it it didn't even come close to that one hour i had with him yeah okay face to face 
having a lunch together. It was such an enjoyable experience. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and so the face to face part, whether it's one on one or in small groups, is something that is much more important than we give credit to at times. And we actually uh, don't appreciate it enough either. And that's part of the problem on why we sometimes fall back and well, I'll just go online and you know, uh, instead of actually reaching out. Okay, and say, let's meet for dinner or something or do something, you know, that really makes a connection. Uh, that's a real problem. Okay. Yeah, because when you have these so-called manipulators uh, parading as leaders, and then yeah. you have the power of online tools to connect and yeah. disseminate the ideology or the, 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 yep. the things so vastly, and then you have this element in the mix, which is the loneliness and the need yes. to feel wanted and belong. Yep. It's yes. heading for disaster because, and then it's the most important thing that you mentioned um, in this scenario. I mean, it's as important is the mm -hmm. idea of truth. What is true anymore? Yes. Why would I yes. want to make an effort? Because I'm sitting alone in a cabin in the middle of a forest and I only have a, smart, a, a tablet and I have this person in in Arkansas telling me that, you know what, the only way you can transcend suffering is by punching gorilla bears or some, something ridiculous. And yeah, you come and tell me, right. don't ever punch a gorilla bear because they, whatever. I'm like, no, yeah. what nonsense. You're a conspiracy, conspiracist. You're, you're, you're a person yes. who's out to get me. You, 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 you hate yeah. uh, gorilla punchers, you know, I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's the, how, how ridiculous it actually is becoming. And we're really becoming detached. Um, and, mm. you know, the, the social media is something that, you know, the world really needs to come to grips with. Uh, we need to understand that these tools are unlike anything we've ever had in human history. And, and we have to figure out how to adjust to it. Um, and we aren't there yet, okay? We, we still do not quite understand what the full effects of these tools are on people. And, um, you know, a lot of, in this country, we, we hide behind things like freedom of speech and some of those, you know, basic rights, which are very, very important rights. Yeah. But it's, it's like anything else, there has to be limits, okay? I mean, otherwise you actually don't have freedom, all right, at that point. And so we haven't quite, uh, again, figured it out. And so um, there's something, um, there's a theory that was developed uh, during the, um, I think it was the first industrial revolution, it's called Engels Pause. Mm. And, and that is a, 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 an economist uh, in England Name Angle, obviously, that uh, recognized that the societal institutions had fallen behind the technology, okay? And, and it took years for the societal institutions to catch up so that society was then able to um, work through uh, with technology in a, a better way. Okay, and so mm -hmm. think about child labor laws, you know, back in the first industrial revolution, we had literally had, you know, uh, six and seven year olds working 12 hour days, right? Yeah, yeah. There was no laws in place. There's no standards in place. And we're in the same place right now. We're at what I call an angles pause. I think it's very much uh, applicable to now 
where we have to get our societal institutions and our behaviors and our standards up the speed to the technology that's raced way out in front of us. And that's the, the pressures that we're feeling right now. And, and yeah. there's people right now that's using this and manipulating it in very, very bad ways. Okay. Because as you just said, you know, there's the social society that is the society we've lived in for years. Uh, and then we have the online society, which is brand new, which is now almost being weaponized. Yeah. Yeah. And we see the yeah. casualties of that being, you yeah. know, young children being exposed to horrific mm -hmm. uh, online abuse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. pedophiles, sex offenders, yeah. bullying. And that's why they are the casualties because they aren't grounded in society. Uh, sadly, they are um, not able to get the kind of acceptance, if you want to call it, or the yeah. community. But then they run to this place, which is just a free-for-all uh, yeah. slaughter, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, there was just a program on 60 Minutes last night that was talking about uh, this and a, a parent lost the child. Uh, I think eleven years old. She hung herself. Mm. Um, she got on one of these, uh, you know, um, social media sites. Supposed to be thirteen years old. She just lied. Okay, mm. it's like what kind of? I mean, what good did that do? It asked her whether she was uh, thirteen or not, and she said yes. Yeah. <laughs> That I mean, that's useless, right? That's okay? a, no, that's a really secure layer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. right? Okay, and 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 then she found some videos about you know hanging, okay, how to, how to hang yourself, okay, and she got depressed because she was on social media and some bad things were going on, and it's like, wow, I mean, how are we allowing this to happen? Okay? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just the mind-boggling that we haven't clamped down on this, and okay, let's we run the risk of clamping down too hard yeah and we can always we always can come back from that but but you know is that our choice do nothing because we're afraid we might do too much i mean right now i think too much would be good yeah we have nothing right now <laughs> no it's scary because i uh you know as a comedian i had to spend some time on social media and i had to play that game right how much to post when to post the yes, right tags yes. get viral go popular I, I, um and it shook me. It shook me up. I was feeling anxious. But I was feeling constantly jittery that I'm not doing yeah. enough. It's very unsettling. And I was at that point, you know, from the age of like 30 to 35, 36. And that's when I was sort of caught up in the whole online race. I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm older now. I'm not so worried about the outcome online because I, it, it, I was able to process it in the real uh, society in uh, offline. Mm -hmm. I was able to talk to yeah. good friends. I was talk, able to talk, talk, talk to people who gave me help. Right. And I made those yeah. changes internally within in the physical world. But how do you yeah. tell a kid to do that? Because I I was around for so many more years and I still found it hard. I know. No. And, and you know, that's how a lot of these kids live, right? It's like, yeah. so if they, they got off the social media, suddenly all their friends are, why aren't you answering me? Or why aren't you on... Yeah. you know, TikTok or whatever, and suddenly they're ostracized. Yeah. Uh, so again, we're in this spiral that we can't seem to figure out a way out of. Uh, and so we can't we can't uh, think the kids are going to solve this problem. I mean, yeah. we need adults in the room, okay? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to be doing. No, we're we put them in this mess. We need to get them out. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's on us and it's on the companies uh, to take much more responsibility around this because right now it's about advertising dollars. Okay, mm. and, um, you know that's what's driving this and how many clicks and how long can you uh, keep the person on your um, your um, social media? Okay? Yeah, that's that's uh, how they sell advertising, and so it's a problem that we uh, really need to address. So clearly we need people who aren't thinking about just these parameters to lead and mm-hmm. get us out of this, but people who are willing to take the hit and say, yeah, he's, he, he doesn't know what he's doing. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah. But in 30 years time, like, wow, didn't we really, we really, we really did need them, you know? Yes, that's right. Yep. I think it's been really an eye-opener on many fronts and I think people listening would agree with me on that. Uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time late at night and joining me. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciated talking with you. So thank you so much for inviting me and happy 40th birthday. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it's, <laughs> it's been a few weeks, uh, but I'm so yeah. glad I'm able to sit here and talk to people like you and exchange ideas and, and also broaden my um mind and you know kind of not be stuck in a way of thinking because as we get older we also tend to do that where we uh dismiss other ideas that don't suit us we we kind of get stuck in a rut because that's the comfortable place to be and Mm -hmm. i i try and um not get there but conversations like this really help so thank you yeah thank you you have a great evening thank you talk to you soon and good luck with everything yeah thank you you too bye bye Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.